0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. We are blessed today to celebrate our church's 90th anniversary. And so with a special emphasis upon God's faithfulness, we're going to look today at the subject of unity and discover that it begins with our perspective of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. I see the star I don't know if you noticed on the front of the bulletin, we have a beautiful picture of a family. And this is, this is our church. These are some young people in our church. We have Sherry Sandberg right there in the very bottom left. Uh, Marlis Hoffman standing right behind her. Um, this is when they were a little bit more spunky and mischievous, I believe. <laughs> but uh, as, I, as I look at that picture, uh, that passage from, from Matthew 5 where Jesus says, You are the light of the world, and a city on a hill cannot be hidden that the unity that's found within the body of Christ is a bright, shining beacon. Uh, The devil will work 24 hours a day to cause division within the church because then the light dims, it diminishes. Uh, When the church is not seen to be unified, when we want things our way, which, believe me, in an American society, it's very easy for us to be overcome with just wanting things our way. We represent the Lord Poorly before the world. We must always pursue unity in the church, and this one picture here to me is so beautiful. Uh, To think of young people getting getting along together does not remind me of my own children. Uh, This past week, I took them over to their grandma's house, and grandma has a closet full of toys, and uh, Michael would Pull something out because he's very familiar with the toys, right? And so he'd start building a tower or a racetrack, and Sadie, uh, a little unfamiliar with them, would suddenly see the fun that Mike is having, and then want his toy, and then this would happen, and then pretty soon I would hear the very familiar sound, "Dad." <laughs> oh, and you know what? This is a tough situation, parents. You know what I'm talking about here because this is a lose-lose for Dad. Right? So either I say, uh, son, share your toys, and then I get this attitude the rest of the day, or I say, Sadie, you've got to let him play by himself, and then I get this attitude the rest of the day. <laughs> so I am in a really difficult position of pulling the children towards unity. But I tried something. I tried to change their perspective, because what I saw happening was really that Sadie was not just... Jealous or envious of what Micah had, but she was excited because of his imagination. So what I tried to do was pull Micah aside and say, hey, pal, I want you to see. It isn't that Sadie just wants to steal your toys. She really wants to play with you. She thinks you are so cool because you can make all the sounds, right? And she doesn't know how to do that, so she's excited about that. That's why she wants to play with you. And then I'd pull Sadie aside, and I'd say, look at what your brother's doing. He's working so hard to build this tower. He needs your help to help build the tower. And I tried that, and wouldn't you know it worked? They, they needed to change it. I mean, not like a charm. Believe me, they're still sinners. But... They needed to change their perspective as to how they saw those differences of what was going on. And I just think even as adults, isn't the same true for us? So many times we don't get things just the way we want. Such and such went on too long or this song wasn't too slow or too fast or whatever it might be. You know what? What if we were to change our perspective? What if we were to think about it differently? Maybe from the other person's vantage point rather than just what interests us. I have my interests. And I want it my way, but if I could see things from another vantage point, from someone else's perspective, I might be able to be joined together with them in unity. (laughs) The problem with this is we don't see it modeled. In our world, this is not what is modeled. Instead, human nature takes over, and it's a dog-eat-dog world, and it's climbed the corporate ladder by standing on the shoulders of putting others down, and Burger King slogan is, have it. Your way. And that's the nature of the world that we live in. Except this was modeled. It was modeled one time perfectly by Jesus Christ. For this, for this morning, I just want to look at four real short verses from the book of Philippians. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to ask you to turn there with me. I'm entitling this message Christ's Love and Church Unity. And my my hope is that we will read through a passage that is somewhat familiar to you, but you might see it in a new light as we try to piece together what the Apostle Paul is trying to say. He he actually has a, a really specific pattern in his instruction to the church at Philippi that's easy to miss. And our goal this morning is to try to recognize that pattern such that Jesus becomes our model, that you and I learn to change our perspective and therefore under Christ's love pursue church unity. Philippians chapter 2, uh, we're going to read the first four verses. That's page 1827 in the Pew Bibles. Paul writes these words. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Real short, right? There's a lot packed in here. First thing I want us to see in terms of observations is simply this. Our unity as a church begins with Jesus. It begins there. It doesn't begin with uh, we need to have unity in our um, political party so that we win. It doesn't begin with we got a long trip to Ohio and we better have unity or I'm going to lose it. (laughs) It doesn't begin there. The place where unity begins is with Christ. I want you to see the first four things that Paul mentions are encouragement from unity with Christ, comfort from Christ's love, fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and tenderness and compassion. Every one of these has with it an understanding that we need to carry. Uh, The first one, encouragement from unity with Christ, is speaking to that which we confess communally. There are a lot of different flavors of church. There are a lot of different flavors, but we all hold to the same confession of Jesus Christ, conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, crucified under Pontius Pilate, suffered and died and was buried and was raised from the grave and ascended to the Father. All these churches confess this. That's what it means to be united in Christ. The second thing that he mentions here is comfort from Christ's love. This one speaks to what we've already been talking about, which is God's grace in our life. It's a very unique kind of love, and we're going to talk about it again here. I'll just let you know ahead of time. It is called unconditional love. Thirdly, the unity of the Spirit is the way in which the Spirit takes over control. Not just control over those things that you would desire, but control over the entirety of who we are. It changes our desires. It changes our loves. Unity in the Spirit means that we begin to care about the same things. And this is not a work that can happen in and of ourselves. God knew. And he told his disciples, look, guys, it's better that I go to the Father, because when I do, I will send the Spirit. And he will be the one that will bring this unity to the church by conviction, by teaching, by equipping. And so fellowship with the Spirit refers to that unity that we share. And lastly, tenderness and compassion is that daily walk with our Lord. So it all begins With Jesus. You can't miss this. Because as we work through the end of this message. You're going to find a conclusion that rests on that single observation. However, it's the second point that I think we might often miss in reading that. Which is our unity as a church is really a reflection of God's love for us. Which means if we're not unified as a church. (laughs) What are we not reflecting very well? We're not showing God's love. And really, I, I think that this is probably the best litmus test in the heart of an individual for how well you know Jesus Christ. And therefore, how well you know your own sin. You'll recognize that in that, uh, that, that equation, there are some dominals that come and hit one another. For you will not love Jesus Christ until you know you need a Savior. And you won't need a Savior until you know you're a sinner. And the spirit is the one that convicts us of sin. So if you know the ways in which you deserve God's wrath, you will cry out for mercy. And God will have an unending supply of grace to provide for you, which will make you praise his name. You will love Jesus deeply. But that can't be faked. John writes, uh, if anyone says that he loves God but hates his brother, he's a liar. He's lying when he says he loves God, but he hates his brother. For who can love God who he has not seen when he doesn't love his brother who he has seen? You see, we reflect the love of God in our unity. And so the Apostle Paul, after he mentions these first four characteristics, which, by the way, I got to make sure you saw this, all begin with a, a really important conditional word. Two letters. Did you find it? Oh, look in the Bible. What word is it? It has two letters, shows up four times. What is it? If. If. That's right. Paul understands that this is kind of a conditional thing. So if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if there's any fellowship with the Spirit, guess what? There's going to be certain things I'm going to expect if that is true. But if that's not true, then we're not going to expect any of these things. I want you to see how they link up. The first one that he mentions is being like-minded. This like-mindedness comes directly from being united with Christ. Being united with Christ is not uh, not haphazard. It's not uh, without any conditions. What I'm trying to say is this. It's not unity for unity's sake. It's not just let's all get along and, and, and let's just all get along. And you can't judge anybody and make sure you're tolerant. That's not what this is. This is united under a very specific teaching that came from Jesus. I'm getting a little preachy here, but you got to hear this. So Jesus, when he ascends to the Father and he's with his disciples, gives something called the Great Commission. You all heard it before, right? Go make... Yeah, we just finished a big series on missions, so they're sharp on that one, right? Uh, Go make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why we sing the glory of Patrick. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, Jesus says. Therefore, being like-minded flows directly from finding our unity in Christ alone. The other day we were uh, working over here. Matthew Bowser asked for some volunteers to come. And uh, there was a few of us showed up early. And that whole play set came packaged in this tiny little box. We really couldn't believe how small the box was but that's because somebody was just very good some engineer had a great time putting all the pieces together right you know making it all fit just right but as we began unpacking it we decided uh, that you could look on each board and it had a number and a letter that corresponded numerically and alphanumerically so we took each piece and we began putting them in order and then after that Matt said, okay, here are the instructions. Let's start gathering the pieces together and setting them in groups so that when people show up, they can start putting them together. And then Matt said, all right, now these over here, we can start to uh, assemble together. Now, what would happen if you got a bunch of guys together and nobody was in charge? Notice the ladies laughed first. Did you notice that? First of all, we wouldn't read the instructions, right? And second of all, you'd have one guy over here trying to do this, another guy over there doing that. In fact, one, at one point, I realized a, a two and a quarter inch screw I placed in the wrong place where they needed a two and a half inch screw. And that little half inch meant that the nut couldn't connect and the whole piece wouldn't have worked. My point is this. There had to be some very logical consistency to the way it was put together. Your faith is the same. It cannot just be, yeah, figure it out. You'll figure it out. And it certainly can't be that there are more than one way to God. Why else would Jesus say, I am the way and the truth and the life? No one comes to the Father but through me. It has to have order. The like-mindedness that we share is a direct result of having encouragement from knowing Jesus Christ. Honestly, if there was another way that you could be saved, if Buddha could save you, if Krishna could save you, then let me just contend to you that God is about the most foolish person in the world. Because if there was more than one way to get to him, why in the world would he let his son be crucified? Why in the world let your son suffer like that and die in a terrible, murderous death on the cross? Unless that was the only way. You hear me? Say amen if you got that. Good. Second thing that Paul says after he says, be like-minded. Remember, these all start with ifs. Okay, so like-minded is number one is this. Having the same love. Notice that in verse 2, right? Being like minded, having the same love. Well, what love could he possibly be talking about? Ah, except the same love that is the comfort we share from Christ's love. This kind of love is called unconditional love. It means I love you, not because of what you do for me, I love you, not because of the benefit I reap. From your talents or service. I love you no matter what. And sometimes unconditional love looks um, like rebuke. And that's okay. But rebuke must never be getting harshly. The Bible teaches us, speak the truth in what? In love. Speak the truth in love. And we want to turn a sinner from his ways. Cover over a multitude of sins. Because that's what love does. Our having the same love as Jesus, means it must be unconditional. This means it can't be hot one day and cold the next. You know, sometimes it's like that in church. Let's be honest now. Sometimes there are folks that you say, Oh, that guy, I really like him. And then that, he does something and you think, I'm not so sure anymore if I like him, right? Uh, that whole attitude of hot and cold makes me think of uh, the Cleveland Browns. Makes me think of that. So... So my mother-in-law, who just celebrated her 50th anniversary, is a die-hard Cleveland Browns fan, right? There they are. And um, listen, these Browns fans, we really ought to just pray for them, I feel like. um, They are faithful to love their team. You know what I keep hearing? This is going to be the year. This is going to be the year, right? Even though LeBron's leaving, this is going to be the year. Listen, that's unconditional love. That really is. That's, I'm not loving you for what I get out of you. I love you no matter what. And here's the truth, church you are going to offend each other. You are. Yeah. And this is why Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, he said, Forgive us our sins, Lord. But he didn't stop there. He said, Forgive us our sins as we forgive one another. I, I really like the word trespass for this. Because trespass seems like a little tiny thing. Oh, just walk across the edge of your property. Get yeah, off my property, right? Yeah. That, a trespass is a little thing, easily forgiven. How many times has somebody said something that offended you and they didn't know it offended you? How many times has somebody made a comment or, or, or bumped into you or looked at you in a wrong way and that kind of wounded you and you just wanted to hold on to that thing? That is not loving the way Christ loves us. That's not unconditional love. And so the command from this big if, if you have comfort from Christ, well, then you need to have the same love for one another. All right. Thirdly, after this is be one in spirit to be one in spirit in the same way that the spirit takes over control of us. That's what we must do is yield over our desires and our control, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. The Word of God will say, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. The church ought to do the same thing by being one in cooperation, by being one in the way that we function with each other. Again, for some reason, my mind goes back to the football stadium on this because I remember we were at a Packer game and um, my wife likes this a whole lot more than I do. But someone starts doing this, right? and i just want to sit there i i, I don't can't see for a minute right well so, so i felt like since it makes me so uncomfortable i'll try it out on you guys all right so here let's try this what you're going to do is when the row in front of you goes woo the row in front then your row go woo all right we're going to try that so front row's start are you ready one two three look y'all totally making my point on this because that's exactly what it I don't want to stand that pastor's doing it I I came here to hear the Bible not go to a game yeah that that attitude hear me now This this is my exact point the attitude that says I don't really feel like it you know what that is not being one in spirit and look there's a lot of things the church needs to be doing singularly reaching the nations the, the, the multiplicity of diversity of the body of Christ is for that purpose. So there's a lot that we need and get to do for that single purpose of representing God before the world. But what happens when we say, meh, let someone else do it. I don't feel like it. You don't have this anymore. You don't have a oneness of spirit. And we need to because the spirit continues to strive with us. Therefore, you and I must still hold on to one another I love it. I love it, love it, love it at this church. So many ways, especially when I see the kitchen workers. And there are people in the kitchen right now working. And so many times, someone will come in carrying something and say, Hey, what can I do? Where, where can I? Put me in somewhere. Where can I fill in? That's the best attitude to have in church. When I played basketball in high school, there were a few guys that only wanted to be the shooters. What do we call those guys? Ball? That's right. Yeah, give me the Right. That's all they want to do. What they want to do. What happens to the team when just one person wants to have it their way? The team loses. The team loses. That's correct. Yeah. And I love watching how when we have something going on here, this church just springs into action and says, where can I help? What do you need to be done? How can I fill in? Even if that's not something that they're comfortable with, so many of you still strive to honor God by being one in spirit. Now, this last one here, tenderness and compassion, speaks to our purpose. In, in the original language here, uh, I found this uh, paraphrase uh, more helpful. It really means to be in harmony of one mind. Harmony of one mind. We got some professional singers here this morning. All right, we're dressed. Isaac, you're going to start with me, right? Okay. <laughs> la, la. There are others of us, if we tried that, it wouldn't go so well. What you hear in the four-part harmonies that God has gifted them with is that same idea of being one in purpose. Being one in purpose. And it flows directly from the way in which God is tender with you and he is compassionate with you. That's why we can be of the same mind, and that we can fill in the various gaps so that the whole chorus is rounded out in the body of Christ. And this is the place that I want to press a little bit further on my third observation, which is our purpose as a church is selfless service expressed through humility. I, I got to make one point because I don't want you to misunderstand this. Our purpose outside the church is representing Jesus before the nations, making the glory of God known to those who don't yet know him. That's what we do outside. But the preparation for that begins inside. And when we come together, really, we're coming to practice. I should give you all jerseys when you walk in. Welcome to practice. Welcome to church, right? Because what we're doing is working to get along here to express what the body of Christ should look like out there. Our purpose as a church, how you treat one another, is nothing less than selfless service being expressed through humility. And so this really flows from the very last point that Paul makes. When he speaks to, if there's any tenderness and compassion, you need to be one in purpose. What that means is what flows just at the end in verse 3 and 4. And there's two don'ts and there's two do's. I want you to catch two things you shouldn't be doing. Two things you ought to be doing, and um, they are as follows. First, don't be selfish or vain. How many times can a preacher say that? Again, right? Don't be selfish or vain. Everything that you experience before you come to church will want you to be selfish and vain. That's the world's deal. That ain't God's deal. That's not how the church is to live. So that's the first don't, all right? That's the first admonition. But then you have a do, which is consider others as better. I honestly feel this is one of the most practical things that you can simply do is in your mind just think, man, Bruce Johnson so much better than me. <laughs> that guy is just the best. And uh, Brian Laura, I mean, that guy, is, that guy is just the best. So much better than me. Lee Bowser, he, he's just the best. If we begin to look at one another and just lift each other up above ourselves, you know what that will keep you from doing? It'll keep you from being selfish. Yeah. It'll keep you from being vain. When we consider others as better than ourselves. So he's got two more. Another don't says, don't look only to your own interests. Who took my parking spot this morning? That was my park. Don't they know that's my park? No, you got it wrong. One of the things that I love to do when I come to church in the morning is try to park as far away as possible. Because I got healthy legs. Amen? Yeah, and you got healthy legs, too. And you know what? There's other folks in our church that are n- not quite as healthy. And so we got close spaces for them. If I look only to my own interests, and this is one of the things my wife, uh, I'm not sure if she can hear me right now. Oh, she can. <laughs> um, all right, I'm going to say it anyways. Um, when, we go, uh, when we go shopping to Green Bay or something like that, I always park so far away. She says I park in Alaska every time. That's what she says. <laughs> And one of the things that she tries to do, and which a lot of people do, is kind of hunt for the close spot. Anybody like that? I'm just going to hunt. And you see these cars circling and go, oh, there it is, and they get in there before everybody else. I enjoy walking. And and it's not just simply because I give thanks that I can, but you know what? There's going to be somebody else that needs it more than me. And so I can't look just to my own interests. I can't. I mean, if there's only one rack of ribs left, I'm going to want to cut in line because I want to get that last rack of ribs, right? But I can't. I can't think only about my own interests. I got to think about the interests of those around me, which is the last thing that he says. Look not only to your own, but look to the interests of others. I don't know if you've seen this before because as you read this passage in Philippians, you might miss that structure. Every one of the ifs becomes for us A model. And it needs to be modeled. We need to change our perspective. The same thing that brought my children together was them looking at each other differently. Oh, that's why he's fussing over this. Oh, that's why she wants that. And if they change their perspective, they'll find that there is room for unity. You and I must look to Jesus Christ for this. So for conclusion, number one is this. I love this. Just give away what's been given to you. It's as simple as that. If... You have encouragement, if you have comfort, if you have fellowship, give it. Give it away. Give it to those who are around you. In fact, Jesus, when he's confronted by somebody who thought he was real smarty pants, says, uh, Who's my neighbor? was the question. And Jesus picked somebody he did not like, a Samaritan. He said, That's what a neighbor looks like. And so, if you really want to go level 2.0 on this sermon, you try to do this to somebody who really irritates you. Don't pretend like you're all holy this morning. I know you got, I know you got people who just irritate you. Those, you do. I do, you do. Those are the people that you need to learn to love selflessly. And you do so by looking first at Christ. And give away what he has already given to you. Secondly is this, our unity is evidence of our shared faith. It's our evidence of it. So if you want to show what your faith looks like, be unified under your encouragement from Christ Thirdly, our purpose in the church, this is a beautiful one. It's rooted in compassion. The Greek word for compassion means to have your guts wrenched. Um, our, we have a phrase in English that's kind of close. When you see someone in, in need, sometimes we say, my heart went out to them, right? Uh, or, or maybe sometimes, if you, have you ever seen like an injury or a wound and you kind of feel in your bowels this like, oh, like that pain? That's exactly what the word compassion means compassion means feeling this sense of need to find resolution to what's going on because when we look at the need for unity in our church it's sourced in compassion and that more than anything has been modeled by jesus christ which means for this last observation conversely division then is a product of having taken our eyes off of christ when we find somebody who, who's really irritating us, driving me bonkers, um, you know what the best medicine is? Just look to Jesus Christ. If he could wear a crown of thorns, you can put up with gum smacking. Right? If he could have nails driven through his wrists and hang on a cross, you can deal with somebody who just keeps dabbering and dabbering and dabbering and dabbering. <laughs> You know, I, I, am I, I might be hitting too close to home for some of you. These are mine. All right. These are mine. You've got your own things that irritate you. Right. But when you want to divide over that, it's because you quit looking at Christ and you kept looking at you. We got to stop looking at ourselves. We got to look at Christ. So I want to do something. I want to see if we can try to do this very briefly. My applicational question because it's our birthday anniversary, is how has this church blessed you? And I'd like to just hear from you, and I think that this would be good for all of us. Uh, I, I'm only looking for a couple of you to share, but if you could give just very brief, so three things. Number one, brief, it's not another sermon, right? Amen? Amen. Right, so brief. Uh, number two, this is not an opportunity to say, well, let me just tell you what about this person now that I got. No, we're saying positive things, all right? We're going to share that which will glorify God. Anybody have anything that they would share for how this church has blessed them? Yeah. My name is Gail Hamby, and I grew up in Sagola. This church has been the, the pivotal moment in my life since I was this high. And the people, the men and women that worked in the church and taught us, they took their time effort for us, is just making am today. And I love the Lord with all my heart, with all my strength, with all my being. You will see grace. And I walked in today, and there were people I knew from before, and it felt so good to hug them. It felt so good to just say hello, and it made me think of heaven. So thank you, guys. Thank you. Lovers of the Lord. Amen. You're behind I, oh. I figured, Lois, I could count on <laughs> In here was love. I have never felt love like this. This is my heart. This is my heartbeat. This is my love. You all. I love you all. Thank we you. love you. Definitely. I have one too. The baptism we had last summer when the whole church body came together for all of us that were baptized and for my daughter and my little granddaughter. So, this, this is family and this is love and it was, it was absolutely amazing. And there were many of us that were baptized. You, you know, uh, my dad passed away uh, two years ago and Um, I don't have opportunity to thank him anymore for the impact that he made in my life. Um, I think I had the chance to show him when he was here. If you look around you, there are so many faces here that have meant so much to the development of your love for Jesus Christ. Make sure that you take time to build each other up, to thank one another, and to share what God has done through the love that we show, that we've shared. Because if it starts here, it's supposed to end up here. You guys pray with me tonight.